This episode of the Crochet Bays is dedicated to David Carl Stiles and all the other babies gone too soon. Crochet Bays. We're gonna crochet while we talk about crochet, while we talk about crochet. You can crochet too. Yeah. Welcome everybody to episode nine of the Crochet Base podcast. I'm Jess. I'm Meg. And we are the, the Crochet, crochet Base. Nailed it. Crushed it. 100%. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to lead with confidence from now on. And Proud of you. Whether we actually crushed it or not, that's what I'm going to tell myself. So You can... I thought I was the one that lives in denial. Maybe just for that little bit of the okay. podcast, I can live in denial. I'll okay. I'll give you I'll give you the deni- the being in denial. That's fine. You <laughs> okay. can have it. Okay, great. So, um, what's new? What's new with you, Megs? Well, since I got home from your house, I have been busy pattern testing and catching up on some custom orders so um and pattern testing this really cute reindeer and his name's ralphie i love that. and i know and so my cute. dear friend autumn from autumn's adorables it's her first pattern she's ever written it's super cute and i love it which and, by the way, uh, you would never know from looking at that that that's her right? first pattern. Like it it looks so good. She's so talented. Um, I'm so impressed. And the pattern's well written, the layout's lovely. Like I'm really excited for her to release it. Um and it, and by the time this podcast airs, it will be released. So that's really exciting. Woohoo. So we will definitely like notate that in the show notes so you guys can hit that up and get it for Christmas. Because it's a really cute pattern, you'll love it. And I'm I'm struggling over here. Just, <laughs> it's fine. I like keep smashing. She's the just microphone. manhandling her mic right now. <laughs> My arm itches. I can't. This is how we're starting out the most serious podcast episode we've had to date. You know what, Megs? If there's one thing that you do well, it's balance the serious with a little bit of levity. So it's fine. This is real life. Is that a backhanded insult no, or a compliment? No, I think it's great to be able to like talk about serious stuff, but also be able to laugh when it's called for. You know, we got to be able to do a little bit of both, and you do that well, I think. Oh, thanks. So, yes, it was a genuine compliment. <laughs> she you... actually loves me, you guys. <laughs> um, was that it? Are you finished with your? What's yeah. Your... What What are you working on? Okay. So. I still am working on the blanket. It's a big project. So like that's always kind of my answer right now for the what's new. But this isn't something I'm working on like yet, but it is new. Um, My dear friend Reagan, Little Chicks Crochet, sent me a knitting machine for my birthday, yeah, you guys. Girl. Can you believe that? I had like mentioned a couple of times, man, it would be really fun to get a knitting machine. I feel like I'm the only one in our little friend group that doesn't have one yet. And what happens? But a knitting machine shows up on my front porch. And I was just like thrilled to bits. So she literally messaged me and was like, hey, do you think Jess would like a knitting machine for her birthday? I was like, um, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah. Seriously, I 
I haven't been able to like dig into it yet because it's just been a crazy few days since I got it. But I am so excited to dig I'm into stoked. the world of the knitting machine and now just I think, crank out so many fun things. I think Britt might be the only one who doesn't have one at this point. Get on it, Britt. She's like, will somebody send one to me? <laughs> Oh my this is why I was trying to talk you into buying some like fancy yarn that you liked to make beanies. Yeah. In between the murder mystery dinner, which was like the big surprise for my birthday, mm-hmm. and getting the knitting machine, I was like, that must have been a red herring when she was like, you want to get some yarn to make a hat. And I was like, okay. And then like the birthday surprise had nothing to do with crocheting. And I was like, was she just throwing me off the trail? And then the knitting machine arrived and I was like, Oh, (laughs) that's what she meant. I love it. So I have a few different yarns that I'm excited to, to use on my knitting machine. Once I get it all out and put together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What you drinking? I'm drinking coffee out of, Ooh, what are you drinking it a out of? A certain cute mug that a certain cute friend got for me. Oh, who's it this is cute friend? All of the things. I mean, let's be real. I do love just a, I I don't discriminate when it comes to coffee mugs. I love a lot of them. But this one is a campfire mug. We love that. It is mm-hmm. blush pink. We love that. It does say cat lady on it and we love that. It is the fourth or fifth mug I have that is cat related and the third i think that somebody's given to me over the years that directly says cat lady or crazy cat lady and i'm not upset about it i love it and i embrace it thank you (laughs) thank you thank you um thanks if y'all what are you drinking sorry i took a sip right before i needed to talk oh you hear this whoa she got really excited can no. you hear it? You you can't hear it. There's no. coffee swishing. I have coffee. She has coffee. It's amazing. I actually have coffee. And it's in this lovely Mandalorian coffee mug that's like a 20-ounce mug I um, that. that I got for $1.16. It was on clearance. I love a good clearance mug. Oh, you can't say no. You just can't right? say no. Right? And it's yep. so big, and I love it. So I do have coffee. I also have some water. Because Is there... Was you a got a If I had a soundboard with like sound effects, I would be hitting the applause button right now mm-hmm. for the fact that you're actually drinking coffee. I know. I finally have coffee in the middle of the podcast and not like chugged before we finish. Since, you know, our whole tagline is crochet, drink coffee, be kind. Meg's likes to skip the middle part a lot. Well, that's not true though, because I do drink coffee. I just finish it before we start recording. <laughs> Technically, if you think about it, really none of those three things are involved in our podcast normally. We're not crocheting. We're not, well, I drink coffee, but you don't. And usually we're mean to each other. (laughs) We're actually the antithesis of our tagline. Oh, man. Cats out of the bag. We never actually crochet. All those lives where you see us crocheting, fake, deep fakes. It's actually the real crochet guy crocheting on a green screen and we're just talking our heads it absolutely is the real crochet guy yep (laughs) i'm sorry okay this is so unrelated to our podcast at this point did you see the tiktok that was that was like the recording of of him in the ghost race and he finished his and put a felt mouth and eyes on it it's so funny oh my goodness 
Oh, was he a I, part of the race? Was he, he on was. live? He was. He got oh, last wow. place. That's not surprising. <laughs> not because, oh. like, I think he's bad, just because he's new. Right. Uh-huh. That's definitely what you meant. Um, If you guys don't know about the real crochet guy, he is the uh, crochet goat. Um, <laughs> he invented crochet. He invented crochet. He uh, invented this podcast. <laughs> He's the um, actual producer, the wizard behind the curtain. <laughs> There's an 85% chance I stole all my patterns from him. <laughs> He's oh great. Goodness. You need to find him on TikTok. He is phenomenal and you will laugh your butt off. So that was a unofficial, unexpected shout out for the real crochet guy. <laughs> <laughs> we love that. He's hilarious. You guys will like him. Oh, my goodness. Well, do you want to tell the people before we jump into um, the main topic of today, do you want to give the people just kind of a little glimpse into what you're going to be sharing today? Yeah, yeah. So um, this episode is a little different than our normal episodes. I know we kind of started out joking and laughing and doing our norm, but um, we, we said g- we weren't going to do that. And then we went right ahead and, and then did we, that. We, we just can't not, right? So we're going to shift a little bit and get a little bit more serious. Um, October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. This episode airs in October. Um, It's also October. So we wanted to really like talk about that and help raise awareness a little bit. And also because um, I am a loss mom. I've had a stillbirth and two miscarriages. So it is something that's really like close to home for me and near and dear to my heart. And it plays a large role kind of in in my crochet world, too. So we wanted to talk about my story and um, explain to you guys, you know, how that kind of rolls into crochet for me and then things you guys can do to also help raise awareness as well as supporting people in the lost child loss community. Um so you may see a little shift. There may be some tears. There may not be some tears. You know, it's going to be a little bit more serious. We might have a little bit of laughs, but uh, you'll see a, a little bit of a different side of me. And I think it's going to be interesting. Um, I know this might sound weird, but I'm actually really excited about it because this is a huge um, part of my life and I'm very open about it. So um, I'm excited to be able to share my story with you guys and be a little bit more vulnerable. And not be the goofy, laughing, unserious one all the time. <laughs> yeah. So if if you are somebody who hangs out on TikTok and you hangs out on Meg's lives, you've probably heard little bits and pieces of the story. And so hopefully this episode will be a little bit more <clears throat> in depth so that you guys can get to know. I mean, obviously, this, this one is really going to be Meg sharing her story more than anything. So this will be an episode where you guys can kind of get to know her and her heart and something that she's really passionate about a little bit more. All right, everybody. So we are going to jump into really just kind of opening the floor for Megs to share her story. And so that is exactly what I would love you to do, Megs, is just kind of share, share your story. That's yeah. It. That's all I got. So it, it kind of starts in December of um, 2018. Yes, it was December of 2018. I um, was having a lot of like really unbearable pain, um, lots of just weird symptoms that seemed off and didn't make sense. And I was concerned something like health-wise was wrong with me. Um, 
so I went to a doctor and, uh, they were like, oh, is there a chance you could be pregnant? And I was like, no, because I just like finished a cycle, like literally just finished one like a week ago or three weeks ago or something. Like there's no way, not a chance. So she's like, okay, this is just really weird symptoms. I'm, you know, I'm gonna, um, just do a pregnancy test just in case. And, uh, so she did and she came back and she just kind of sat down and looked me like straight in the face. And she's like, I'm shocked myself, but you're pregnant. And yeah. And I was like, what? Excuse me? Like I have a 10 month old baby. I can't be pregnant. Like I have a 10 month old baby. Yeah. And she's like, I'm really concerned you're having an ectopic pregnancy, um, and for those who aren't familiar with what that term means, an ectopic pregnancy is a pregnancy that implants outside of of the uterus. Um, it is a non-viable pregnancy. It can be life-threatening and dangerous to the mother if it's not treated. Um, and you have a risk of, like, rupturing and things like that. So they were really concerned about that. They did ultrasounds. They took HCG to look at my levels, um, which... HCG is a way that they can tell a pregnancy is viable or not. If your levels are raising and doubling, that means you're having a viable pregnancy. If they're lowering, it means you're having a loss. Um, So they did that, and they couldn't see anything. So thankfully, I was not having an ectopic pregnancy, but they really couldn't determine whether or not um, I was miscarrying or it was just too early to see a viable pregnancy. So we waited it out a little bit longer, and... um, over a f- like about a week span determined that I was having a miscarriage. Um, and that was my first real like in my face, totally aware of what was going on with me experience with loss. Mm-hmm. Now I had already had three children. So the idea of losing a baby was just so foreign to me. Yeah, It wasn't my first time having a miscarriage, but it was my first time faced with the reality of like, no, you actually were pregnant. We have it confirmed, and here's now a confirmed miscarriage. Mm. Um, and it was really hard on me. I really struggled with it. My church was really supportive. Um, but I just struggled. And then that kind of set the stage for me to go, I actually do want four kids. Like, four sounds like a good number. So after, um, you know, a little bit of time of healing physically and mentally, we said, all right, we're going to start trying to have another baby. And uh, it didn't take long to get pregnant. I actually, like, didn't struggle to get pregnant at all. Um, And we found out we were pregnant with our son, David. Um, I was nervous, but also was of this mindset of, like, it can't happen to you more than once. Like, that was a fluke. It will never happen to me again. It was so early. I was only, like, four and a half weeks There's no way it could happen to me again. And we went through the pregnancy. They gave me extra ultrasounds to kind of like put me at ease. So I had one at six weeks. I had one at nine weeks. I had one at 14 weeks. And everything looked good. He was growing. Um, You know, nothing about my pregnancy in terms of of what they could see through, excuse me, um, see through an ultrasound looked like anything was wrong. Um, I was, you know, like he was measuring on track. Um, I had some health problems in pregnancy, but nothing that would be related to, to any of the experiences I had just simply made my pregnancy a lot harder for me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
so we decided, oh, we're going to have a gender reveal party. Like, I think that'd be fun. We've never done one before. It's our fourth child. We already have girls and boys. Let's skip the baby shower and just do a fun, like, diaper party slash gender reveal party. So I had planned this whole thing out, and I um, I went I, – I, I told my husband, I told Davey, I was like, you know what? Don't even worry about coming to the anatomy scan ultrasound with me because um, – We're not even going to find out the gender anyways. I'm going to bring the pictures home. It's going to be no big deal. I'll bring a babysitter with me to watch the kids and we'll do this whole thing. And he's like, yeah, cool. We'll find out on Sunday. So I go to this ultrasound and um, the ultrasound tech was as pregnant as me. She was actually due like a few days after me or something. So it was kind of fun. Like she was having a little girl and and, uh, we bonded a little bit over that. But as the, you know, I had... I had actually all my kids with me, which is funny, um, and the babysitter. So um, as the ultrasound started to go on, which is – it's it's a very standard ultrasound. You know, I was really chill. I had done it many times. I was actually trying to not focus on it a whole time because I didn't want to accidentally see the gender of our baby. Right. So um, she started to get really serious, and mm-hmm. I thought that maybe she was annoyed with my kids being there. So I, like, was feeling really guilty. Like, oh, I should have left him home with the babysitter instead of taking them with me. And now I'm like, oh, what am I doing? And she just got really cold. And um, at the time, I read it as her, you know, being annoyed with me for bringing my kids. And what yeah. I didn't realize is it was her trying to not lose her cool. Because mm-hmm. legally, she's not allowed to tell me anything. Man, that's got to be a really tough it, position. To it be is in. like that woman is a saint because she had she knew everything that was happening, but she couldn't tell me a word. Wow! So she was like, "I'm just gonna sneak in the back and and let the doctor see these, and they'll come in to talk to you." Again, not an abnormal thing. Really, really normal. Um. So I was like, "Okay, cool." So we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, about seven doctors rush into the room, mm-hmm. and I was like. What's going on? And they're like, I think you should have your children step out. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, They're about to tell me that my child has Down syndrome or um, dwarfism or they're missing a limb or they have a cleft palate, you know, like all these things that you fear but also aren't the end of the world. Like all these things that I'm like, okay, this changes our lives, but we can manage it. And I was so prepared for him to tell me, you know. I don't know why in my head I thought, like, oh, he has Down syndrome. That's got to be what it is. That's what he's going to tell me. He has Down syndrome. And so I'm, like, waiting for those words to come out. And then they didn't. And he just was like, your baby's really sick. And I'm like, okay. And then he started explaining to me what was going on. And he says we're seeing a lot of fluid throughout his body and some other problems. Um, he's not measuring at at the size he should be right now. And I say he, at this point in time, they didn't actually know his gender. Um, He was measuring about four to six weeks behind what he should have been measuring, which is like a huge amount of time, obviously a huge. And uh, he, he told me, you know, he has this condition called hydrops and I was like, okay, well, what is that? Um, And actually What's funny is I asked that question, but I actually did know what it was. And the reason I knew what it was is because I had a friend who lost her daughter at like 17 weeks from the same condition. Oh, wow. So I was somewhat familiar with it, but not entirely. 
So he explained to me that hydrops is this condition where a fluid builds up in multiple areas of the body. And in his case, it was in his skull. It was surrounding his heart. And it was like in his limbs and things like that. Um, now, the interesting thing about hydrops is that there can be many causes to it. But it's actually not a, a like disease or syndrome in itself. It's a symptom of an underlying thing. So we didn't actually know what was wrong with him in that situation, but we knew that he had high drops. High drops has a um, 90% fatality rate, and the earlier that they diagnose it, the more fatal it is. So I was at the halfway point, and it was diagnosed. Now, keeping in mind, I had ultrasounds earlier, and it, it had not shown up in those ultrasounds. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because they didn't have really great equipment. I don't know if the person who was doing the ultrasound just wasn't as well versed or that it just didn't pop up until this point in time. We really don't know and we'll never know and that, that's okay. Um, but he, you know, he, he was really blunt with me and said like, here's the deal. We're seeing all these things wrong. Um, we're not seeing a portion of his brain it looks like a portion of his brain's missing. He has anemia. And now that sounds really weird to say, like, how the heck can you tell a baby in the womb has anemia? But except for there's two types of anemia, which I didn't realize. There's um, being anemic, as in, like, you have low iron. And there's mm-hmm. being an anemic or anemia, as in you have low blood flow. Um, okay. So in his case, you couldn't, he was having really low blood flow, which is, like, not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said essentially like, Hey, you need to come in tomorrow morning and have a fetal blood transfusion done. And it is exactly how it sounds. Um, they literally, if you know, like an iron transfusion or a blood transfusion for an adult, they do that exact same thing, except for they, you use your umbilical cord to transfuse to the baby. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty hefty con- procedure. It comes with risks. There was a chance that they could have ruptured my amniotic sac and he could have um, – then he would have been born and he would have um, passed away right then and there. But essentially what it was is that the risks were lower of that happening than him passing away if we didn't do it. Right. So essentially it was like a, this is a a something we can do right now that's going to give us time to figure out what's wrong with him to see if we can fix this and save right. him and X, Y, and Z. Um, So we chose to do it and I came back and we did more ultrasounds and just kept finding more things wrong. His limbs were shorter than they should have been. Again, he was measuring small. You know, the piece of his brain was missing. He had um, cardiomyopathy, which is enlargement of the heart. Um, Just a lot of different things. His his esophagus was actually not attached to his lungs. Um, Wow. And, and, uh. They were just seeing more and more things as they wa- did more ultrasounds. Um, they offered me different options for what I could do with my pregnancy. I chose to continue my pregnancy and um, leave it in God's hands. Uh, so we did weekly ultrasounds because I was at risk for developing um, preeclampsia, which is deadly to a mother if it goes untreated. And uh, a condition called mirror syndrome, and it's exactly how it sounds. Um, if you develop mirror syndrome, you will literally mirror the baby's symptoms, and that can also be deadly. 
So I needed to be monitored really closely for that reason. Um, and, you know, we went week by week and we actually started to see improvement. Um, he would either stay stable from one week to the next or he'd improve a little bit. And we had a lot of hope and I started doing a lot of research and um, I found some people um, in Texas and in, oddly enough, um, actually where I currently live at the University of Iowa, um, there was a specialist who I was trying to um, get in contact with to come and do a consultation with them to get a second opinion Um which is just, it's, it's almost crazy that I live here right by it now. Um, yeah. When in that process, you know, three years ago, I was trying to make that happen. And uh, I emailed all this information to my doctor and he's like, okay, I don't feel comfortable explaining all these things to you over an, an email. Let's discuss it in person at your next appointment. So this was like a, I think this was like a Wednesday or Thursday. And then my next appointment was that following Monday. Um, so I'm like, okay, that's fine. Because there was a few things I had learned about like shunts. You can place shunts that will help drain fluid and just some other things I learned. Um, and at this point, we had a plan to deliver at 36 weeks as long as he stayed stable. And if he started to decline in health, we would deliver him at whatever point that was that he he started to show um, like distress or decline. Um, I was in my 27th week of pregnancy. And uh, I remember that Friday I had invited a friend over. And actually I had met her through a Facebook group um, where I had shared the diagnosis of my son um, and was asking for prayers. And she was like, oh, I live on... Um, I live over by Rapid City, South Dakota, and at the time I lived in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And if you're not familiar with South Dakota, those are on the polar opposite sides of the state from each other. Um, she goes, but in in um, in a few weeks, I'm moving to Sioux Falls. So at this point, she had actually moved to Sioux Falls. And what's also crazy is that she, her two-year-old daughter, or yes, she was two at the time, I believe, maybe not quite two, um, somewhere around that age, had also been born with high drops and survived. Oh, wow. Um, so her daughter is quite literally a miracle. Um, yeah. So she had a lot of really great insight for me. She was a huge support to me. We became very good friends. Um, we talked a lot over social media. And uh, that Friday was the first time we had met in person. I invited them over um, for dinner. We ate, I remember what we ate. We ate spaghetti and garlic bread because mm -hmm. I remember saying like, oh, I took all my meds today to make sure that I could eat this garlic <laughs> bread and it would not like come back up um, back in the day when I could eat garlic bread. Wow. <laughs> um, but specifically that day, I was feeling really off, like even more so than ever. Like I slept all day. I felt really weird. Um, and then when they left, I, I realized oh, wow, I had not feel him kick or move at all. Now, that wasn't super abnormal anyways because um, I I didn't uh, – he was he was so small and all the fluid buildup, he, he, he had very weak movement. I could feel it, but not, not to the extent that a, a typical, normal, healthy pregnancy would at 27 weeks and some right. odd days. Um, and I was kind of like, Davey, I just, I, I'm not feeling a move. I've poked at him a little bit, you know, and I'm not feeling anything. And 
And he was like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, there's a chance that I I just missed it because I did sleep all day. I wasn't feeling good. And uh, maybe I'll just go to bed and reevaluate in the morning. Um, And I did. I I, I woke up early that morning and I tried to kind of like drink a cold glass of water and do all the little tricks they tell you. I poked at them in my stomach and I didn't feel anything. So I was like, okay. I woke Davy up and I said, I'm going to go and get checked out at the hospital. Um, But I took my time. I was really calm. I didn't say a whole lot. I just, you know, I took a shower and I got dressed and I went into the kitchen and ate a piece of toast and uh, drank something. And then and then I packed my stuff up and I left and um, I got to the hospital and I went into the ER and explained the situation. And the ER doctor was like, "Okay, we'll admit you in here to get you checked out. I said, no. Don't admit me here. Bring me straight up to labor and delivery. And he's like, well, that's not really how we do things when we're checking for um, decrease of movement in in a pregnancy. And I said, I know that's not how you do things normally, but this is what my doctor told me to do. Um, I'm not a typical case. This is not a healthy pregnancy. Um, And this is the instructions I was given. So they called up and sent me up there. And um, I, you know, I explained the situation to to everybody in in um, the labor and delivery. And um, I felt so bad because they had a – it's a teaching hospital. So they had a bunch of students and specifically they had a few people shadowing. And, of course, you know, they're – not only are they shadowing, but they're shadowing in my situation. And right. and it's a it's a good learning experience, absolutely, but it's also a really hard thing to watch and not something you wish that they had to see in the years that they're learning. Right. Um, so the the nurse came in and she's like, All right, let's just take a peek on the heart monitors and she's trying really hard to get the heart monitors to pick up his heart rate and, and it thirty minutes go by and she's like, You know, these things are so finicky. Um Let's just get the ultrasound in here and we'll have the doctor come in and take a peek at it. And honestly, like I knew, like deep down I knew. I wasn't ready to like face it head on in that moment, but I I knew subconsciously I absolutely knew. From the moment I walked in there, I did. Um, And the night before I knew, I just wasn't ready to admit it or accept it, if if you will, I guess. Yeah. Um, No, that makes sense. mm Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> it's been a long time since I've told this part. Um, the uh, doctor came in and started playing on the ultrasound. Playing sounds like the worst word, but it's, yeah. And um, she, you know, took a couple of views and tried to look around and then just shook her head and looked at me and... Um, said the sentence that no parent ever wants to hear. (sighs) And um, she said, I'm sorry, but yeah, he, he doesn't have a heartbeat. It looks like he passed away. Um, and I, I, you know, obviously I, I started to tear up and I, um, told her I, I, I suspected that and I you know we we definitely like saw it coming 
um, throughout the whole process of like the pregnancy, they told me many, many times that there was probably not a chance that he was going to survive. Um, they gave him maybe a week to live. He lived for almost eight weeks. <laughs> so, um, he defied what they even told, told us. Yeah. And, uh, so you were alone when you got that information. Yeah, I was, I was alone when I was told about his diagnosis and Jeez. I was alone when I was told he passed away. Um, and, wow. and that's okay. Like, that's not anybody's fault. It's just, no, it's the, cho- that's hard. it's the choice I made. Um, and, and it was a better, I think it was better for me, even if it was hard to get that information, um, in person. And, uh, that doctor said, I'm going to call your doctor and have them come in and confirm it. Um, she goes, but I don't want you to get your hopes up right now. And even then, so like, like hearing her say, oh, let's have your doctor come in and confirm it. I'm like, I'm just waiting for her to tell me that he was wrong. You know, like I was waiting for my doctor to come in. Yeah, of course. And he did. And he, you know, he he said the same thing. He's like, oh, this just sucks. Like, I'm so sorry, but it it's, you know, it's not what we hoped for. Um, And, uh, and then he was like, I'll be, I, I gotta go fill out some paperwork and do some things for you and I'll be right back and we can discuss, you know, your options. So I'm sitting in this room, um, with the, um, the flight medic or air, air, whatever they're called. It's the, it's the medics that, um, fly the helicopters. Um, that's who was shadowing and, and she was sitting in there with me and we were just both so quiet and she's like, I just want to tell you, I'm so sorry, but I feel like you you probably don't want to hear that. And, uh, and I kept apologizing to her. I just was like, I'm so sorry that this is your first day shadowing and this is the experience you had. And she's like looking at me like, don't apologize to me. <laughs> like, but that's just yeah. so me, you know, like even in the ultrasound, when I got the diagnosis and the ultrasound tech came back in the one that looked cold at me, she came in bawling saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And me and her sat and hugged for 20 minutes and cried together. Like, it's it's just, it's so, um, it's just so, yeah. And, and I just apologized to her, too. Like, I'm sorry you had to, you know, be the one who had to keep your cool and do all that. Like, that's not easy. Um, Sometimes it helps to, like, just kind of focus on somebody else's right. situation. Right. And, and that's moment. me. Like, like, in my most painful moments, I find somebody else to to like help in a way like that's really like just me that's how I work through pain um so they were like okay do you want to call your husband and I was like I can't do it um I I can't I can't call him so I had to have a nurse uh (laughs) I had to have a nurse call him and tell him his son died Mm. and that was like that's a hard pill for me to swallow even today like I couldn't do it, and I feel really guilty that he had to hear that from a stranger, but I don't think I could have even got through telling him that over the phone, Um, and I did end up calling my friend, um, Katie, who was a huge support through the whole pregnancy. She's a NICU nurse at that same hospital, Mm. and she would come and watch my kids for every doctor's appointment. Um, And then when I got home, I would explain to her everything they told me. And she would basically put it into, like, terms that I could understand. Yeah. And just just an amazing human being. Um, And I called her and told her. And I called my parents. um, 
and it was my parents' anniversary. Oh. Yeah, so I had to call my parents on their anniversary to let them know what was going on. Um, my dad got to, my dad and mom got there for what was like a five-hour trip. They got there in like four hours, mm. which was nuts, just wild. They got there so fast. Um, yeah. I told Davey not to rush to the hospital either, so he didn't get there right away. But my friend Katie ended up showing up first. And we just sat there. And they gave me the option to go home or stay. And I was like, I don't want to go home. Like, let's just, I just want to be done. Like, yeah. Like, let's just induce me and be done with this. So, um, I did. They induced me there. And all my family came. My sisters were there. My, um, my mom and dad, my friend Katie, Britt came out to be there with me. And then some other local friends came out. And, uh, while I was in labor, they all just kind of sat with me and we cried and we laughed and they, you know, we had moments of just complete silence. Um, I drank a crap ton of vitamin water cause who knew that, that vitamin water is such a great thing in labor. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, after 52 hours of the worst thing like labor I've ever had because it's the only labor I've ever been through. Oh, I take that back. Not the only one, but, um, he was born and, uh, that's a really, really weird experience. Um, because you think even if you've never experienced, um, birth, in any capacity. I mean, even if you watch a show, a movie or, or, you know, have an idea, always the first thing you think of when you think of someone giving birth is the first thing you hear is a baby crying. Right. Um, and it's a lot different of a atmosphere when you deliver a baby and there's no sound. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, it felt like I had lost my hearing. Mm. And, like, I was, like, almost trying to, like, hear and listen for something. And even even in that moment, I was, like, waiting for it. That little last bit. That little hope. last bit. Yeah, exactly. Because I knew, like, as soon as he was here, that was, like, the last moment where I could say, like, maybe there's a chance. Like, there was, right. there was never a chance from the moment I walked into that hospital. But, like... There was just there's always that tiny little bit of hope of like, oh, maybe they of were course. wrong and they just couldn't hear it on a machine or something. Of course, um, yeah. But I think the coolest thing was I had had C-sections always. And in a C-section, they can't immediately put the baby on your chest like they would in a natural birth. Um, mm -hmm. And in this situation, they did. So it was the first yeah. time I got to hold one of my children, be the first person to hold my child, which was a big deal for me. Um, and we spent two days thanks to a machine called a cuddle cot. Um, that is basically a cooling pad that, um, preserves a body to slow down, um, processes of death. And, uh, that gave us time. Um, where we were, which I've heard yeah. this little bit of your story before, and I had never heard of that before. And like, at, when you first hear it, it's a little bit strange. Yes. But at the same time, like, what a gift to be able to yeah. give to families. 
Yeah. That's, and it's so interesting. The unfortunate side is every single hospital on this earth experiences pregnancy and infant loss, but not every single hospital has a cuddle cot. They're mm-hmm. a very expensive piece of equipment, but they are an invaluable piece of equipment. And yeah. um, I would love it. I'd love to see them in every hospital. I was very fortunate to have a hospital that had one. So we were given that time that not a lot of people get. um, And, and we got two days. And now that may sound weird. Like, like what, you know, if someone, someone who's like outside of the situation may go, what the heck do you need two days for? Like, what, what were you doing for two days? And, and you know, what's funny is, is in the moment, because we knew ahead of time, there was a chance he would pass away. We got the opportunity to make decisions um, that most parents don't get to make um, when they experience pregnancy and infant loss. So we were able to make a birth plan surrounding child loss. So mm. we were able to go, if this is the situation, these are the things we want. Um, and that gave us the ability to do things that we didn't really like expect that we could do. So we were able to take impressions of his feet. We were able to hold him and take photos. And um, Davey wanted to watch a movie with him. So we watched the entire um, Avengers Endgame movie. <laughs> we literally like <laughs> ran to the store to buy this movie so he could watch it with his son. <laughs> and um, I, to this day, cannot watch that movie. And I never will. <laughs> um you know, just these bizarre things that you wouldn't really think that you would want to do or, or, but like when you're faced with the reality of, I'm never going to get to do this with my child, I need to do it now, you know? So we, we had our pastor come in and, um, pray over him and say a blessing and our family got to meet him. Um, our children got to meet him. Um, and then we, uh, we had um, a nonprofit organization called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep come in, and um, their entire mission is to give families professional photos um, who are experiencing pregnancy and infant loss, which is a phenomenal thing because everyone loves the newborn baby photos, but we, mm-hmm. you know, people in, in my situation aren't as fortunate to get those things. So this organization comes in and does it for free. Um, and they're so tactful about it and they're so, and they're just such beautiful photos. Um, and if you go on any of my social media, you'll probably see the photos cause I post them quite often. Um, they're like my favorite thing because obviously in situations like that, I don't get to take photos of him. I don't, you know, I don't have photos of him on his first day of school. I don't have photos of him, you know, taking his first steps. I don't, I don't have milestone photos. I can't watch him grow. So the only thing I have is these, these photos we took on my phone. And then these photos we took, um, with now I lay me down to sleep. So they're just an incredible, incredible organization. I'm so grateful for those photos. It's, it's really cool that there's like little moments in your story where it's like, there's still, I think, I mean, I'm not even in the world of, of child loss nearly, obviously, as much as you mm-hmm. are. But I can see, just from an outsider's perspective, 
how much work there is to be done in like making a lot of these things more accessible. Yes. Yep. Different, I, whether it's a nonprofit or like the Cot, like you were saying, like there's a lot of stuff that needs to be more accessible. But I think the, the like little moments where things that would normally experiences that would normally be robbed from a parent who's experiencing child loss, like they're able to, in some sort of way, give those experiences back to you. Yeah. Like most having definitely. Having the photos, having the, that, that time, you know, it's like, it's, I think it's really cool that even though they still need to come a long way, that they, they do have these little things in place that it doesn't fix the problem, right. obviously, but it maybe helps a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. And, and some of the other really cool things that we were gifted in this, you know, time period too, is that some wonderful people, and I don't know them, but um, they donated things to the hospitals for situations like this. So I got this little box and I still have it. And one of the nurses took up like one of those puff paint pens and wrote David on there. And, uh, and David's name means beloved. So they wrote our beloved son on it and it's like they just threw some things in there. So they made like a makeshift birth certificate um, because in this um, when a baby is stillborn, they are not um, issued a birth certificate because they were not born alive. Wow. Um, which is something that I would like to see different, but I don't have control over. So um so they made me a makeshift birth certificate and, you know, those little imprints of his feet. Um, some people actually crocheted him like a little beanie and a blanket and my friend knitted him a bunting sack. So, so the one thing I didn't mention about him is, as I did mention, he was growing slowly and he was a lot smaller. Um, he was born one day shy of 28 weeks pregnant and a 28, eight, excuse me, a 28 week baby is generally between two and three pounds. My son was born at one pound, two ounces, and he was 11 inches long. So to put that into perspective for you, I think everyone kind of has an idea of what one pound is. Um, But I compare him to a Subway sandwich. And I know that's really, like, (laughs) weird. But, like, it puts a visual in your head of how big he truly was. He was tiny. Um, Mm -hmm. So I couldn't go to a store and buy him clothes. I couldn't, you know, like his his feet were as big as my thumb. Um, there are no socks, there are no hats, there are no clothing items, there's no diapers that fits a baby like that. So what I had was just the gift of these people crocheting and knitting these items for me that happened to be big enough to fit him. Like, um, they, you know, they, they made a few of these items and even, even his hat was too big on him because it was a preemie size hat and he only had a nine inch, um, like circumference head. So he was, I mean, tiny, tiny. Yeah. Um, sorry, I lost track of where I was at. No, you're fine. Um, it just, uh, you don't, I guess you don't expect them to be as small as they are because he, he had some, you know, like, he had genetic abnormalities. He had physical abnormalities. So, and he was obviously a micro preemie. So he didn't look like your your fresh, plump, you know, typical newborn baby you saw. But also, he did look like a baby. 
you know, like, and, and again, if you want to see photos of him, he's all over my Instagram. Um, I'm, I share him very openly. It's not, it's not a big deal to me. Um, but he, you know, he had little hands just like a newborn. He had little feet just like a newborn. They may have been way tinier than one, but he had all the little pieces to him. He was just like way tinier. And that was just wild to me. But at the same time, it was like, I couldn't, there were so many things I couldn't do because of his size. He was so much more fragile because he was Mm -hmm. underdeveloped and things. So I couldn't, you know, not only did I not have these clothing pieces and things, but he was so fragile that I couldn't even put them on him. Um, so I was just really grateful for the items and things that people had made to kind of fit him. Yeah. I was going to ask like, in that moment, getting a box with like hand crocheted pieces, what, what did that, I don't know if you can even really put it into mm-hmm. words, but like, what did that mean to you? So at the time I wasn't like, I wasn't crocheting a bunch. It was, it had been quite a while since I had crocheted. And actually the only thing I truly crocheted in that time is I made him in, I actually made him a jellyfish because I had heard that babies for babies who have been in the NICU, because we did know that if he survived, he would have a very long NICU stay and multiple surgeries. Um, I had heard right. that jellyfish mimic umbilical cords and it's a comfort to babies born prematurely. So I hadn't um, crocheted okay. him a, a jellyfish um, in preparation for him to be in the NICU. And uh, that was kind of it. That was all I did. Otherwise, I st- kind of stayed away from crocheting. And it had been a couple years. Um, but to be able to, like, have those things was a huge deal. Like, I really clung onto the blanket big time. Mm-hmm. And I slept with it. Um, because the other thing that someone told me is that it's a comfort to NICU babies to be able to like smell their, their mom. So I slept with it every night in preparation to, for it to smell like me to put in his, his, um, NICU cot. Yeah. Um, and it became like a comfort item for me. And that sounds really weird, like an adult sleeping with a blanket, but it was just one of those things, you know, that you can do. Like there was not a lot I could do. I felt very helpless, but this is one thing I could do. And I can't tell you who made that blanket, but if they ever get a hold of this podcast and happen to know, like, all I can say is you have no idea, like, the incredible gift you gave me. And if you keep doing that, like, don't stop doing it ever because it's, I mean, to this day, it sits in a glass case in my house and gets pulled out in moments where I'm having a hard time. Yeah. And that's why I asked the question because, like, I know how precious those items are to you mm-hmm. now. And I just wondered, like, if it was kind of, if that sentiment has, like, just grown over the years or if it's always been, like, that level of, No, like, his blankets, attachment. his blanket specifically has always been a huge thing. So a lot of the photos you'll see, like, we had him wrapped in, in a white, um, it was actually a pillowcase because that was the smallest thing we could find. We wrapped him in wow. a pillowcase and then we put the bunting sack on him that my friend knitted and then we wrapped him in the blanket that was crocheted for us. Um, and, uh. The blanket was great. It it works really well. It was a preemie size. Um, so it was just a little big, but I've always been like a yay oversized blanket type of person anyways. Right. His hat was too big on him because his head was only nine inches and it was the size of a preemie hat. But it, he still wore it because I loved it and it matched the blanket and it was something somebody made for him. Um, so it yeah. has a lot of sentimental value for me too. Um, 
and uh, those went home with me. They gave me the option. We, we had him cremated, and they gave me the option to have him cremated with him or for me to keep them, and I said, you know, I was like, no, I want these. I want to keep them. Yeah. Um, and they've been, like, they were a major comfort item for me for the longest time. And uh, I remember probably probably like a few weeks after his passing, you know, we had his funeral and we went through those processes and everything. Um, I remember it was just one day I just felt like I could pull myself out of bed. You know, through that first few weeks, I just laid in bed. I wouldn't talk to anybody. Um, I did my best to interact with my children, but it was just, it was hard. Yeah. And uh, just one day I, I got up and and I think I was almost feeling angry in a way. And I was like, this, this can't be for nothing. You know, like this, I can't go through all these, this horrible pregnancy, this horrible diagnosis and the death of my child for it to have zero purpose. Yeah. So I just, you know, I was talking to a lot of different lost parents and, and, uh, the thing that I had seen the most reiterated is I wish that I had some type of piece of them in some way. I wish that I could have done this. I wish that I could have done that. And, and the biggest one was like, I didn't have, I don't have anything that represents their size. And I really resonated with that because I also had nothing that represented his size, you know, because he was so small, nothing fit him. Um, so I really started doing a lot of research and kind of like looking at, to find what was out there. And I found some preemie patterns and different things. And I tweaked them to turn them into different sizes um, and created this group of patterns. Now, I'm not going to claim that I designed these patterns because I absolutely did not. I, I, um, took little bits and pieces of other things and created patterns that would fit babies from all the way down to like that four weeks pregnant all the way up to a newborn size. And I started yeah. mass producing these as best as you can within crocheting, of course, and <laughs> uh, sending them out to parents. Um, and my first one I sent out, I made one for David first. I made one in his size because I was like, I want to see this. And then my first one I sent out was a little boy named Ezekiel. And uh, his mom had the same situation. She didn't have anything that really represented her size, his size. So I mailed one to her. And um, I remember the feeling that I got when she got it in the mail and she messaged me and she was like, just, you know, expressing her gratitude and how much it meant to her. And I was like, this is it. This is the purpose. Like, this is, this is not, you know, this doesn't have to be just about I'm the, the woman with the dead baby. Like, this can be like, this can be I experienced child loss and now I'm going to do something to help others who experience child loss. And yeah. uh, I think... Since then, I want to say I've donated probably between 100 and 150 hats. I didn't do a great job That's at amazing. keeping track, so I don't honestly know how many it's been. But there's been so many, and I've heard so many stories, and it's just been 
insanely incredible. And, and I've, I've donated them to parents who freshly were experiencing loss. And I have donated them to parents who lost their children 25 years ago where they didn't even get to see their Mm -hmm. child, where they weren't even allowed to speak about their child. You know, they didn't get the cuddle cot and the two days and the photos and things. So for them to get a, a little hat in the size of their baby was the first time they ever had experienced someone acknowledging their loss Wow. Um, or getting some type of sentimental item or representation. Yeah, that's huge. And I think it's really, it's hard to really grasp and fathom even like how much that means if you're not in that world. Yeah. Um, but it's like when you have nothing and you can't watch anything blossom or grow, you, you cling to stuff and you and you just do whatever you can. And not even that long ago, you know, there was a time where people weren't even allowed to acknowledge that loss. Um, and it still to some degree today is that way. Um, it's a lot more, it's, it's come a long way, but it's not there yet. Right. So that's kind of like, like, I know I didn't speak a lot on the crochet side of it yet, but, but that's, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. That's, that's how I, I started crocheting again. It started out with these little hats. And obviously, I don't really make hats a whole lot anymore. I do, but I just do them specifically for that. Um, but it really just blossomed, you know? Like, I, I found that love for crochet again because I gave it a purpose that had meaning. And it made, reminded me how much I love to crochet. Um, and it, it, and it created such a beautiful thing out of a horrible situation and gave other people a piece of their child that they never otherwise would have gotten. Absolutely. And, um, there's still such a need all over. Like I said, there isn't a single hospital in this world that doesn't experience, child loss to some capacity. I mean, to give you a, yeah. a, a statistical side of it, you know, we hear the number one in four pregnant women will experience some type of pregnancy loss in their life. And I think that that term is almost so watered down, we don't even quite realize how many women that is. Yeah. Um, and, and to put it into like even more perspective. So stillbirth is considered a birth 21 weeks and up that, that a child passes away before they are born. So 21 Mm -hmm. weeks to whatever period of time, you know, we we can have babies past 40 weeks, but we'll just say 40 weeks. So 21 weeks to 40 weeks, that's what's considered a stillbirth. 7,200. So 7,200 babies are stillborn every day, every single day. And that doesn't even sum up that one in four. That doesn't include miscarriages. That doesn't include SIDS. That doesn't include children who pass away because they're born prematurely. It doesn't include any other type of pregnancy and infant loss. Strictly that 7,200 a day is only stillbirth. Mm -hmm. So when we look at that statistic of one in four and we're looking at 7,200 stillbirths a day, that's just a tiny little percentage of that one in four. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's way more common than we think. 
it's just so much more taboo than we realize, despite mm-hmm. coming such a long way. And um, there's so many things that the crochet community can do to help. Yeah. Um, and, and that's like a huge reason why I was really like passionate about sharing my story in this and, and, um, and talking about this for pregnancy and infolouse awareness month, because it's almost, for me, it's going to be a call to action. Like this, this is a call to action. Now it's saying, Hey, you guys, you have this incredible talent and you can use it to do an amazing thing and give people a gift that they wouldn't otherwise get. Um, so I have those patterns for those hats in my link tree and you can utilize those. And a few ways you can do that is if you um, have some type of in with the loss, the child loss community, you can donate directly to parents. You can donate to hospitals. Um, you can donate to nonprofits. Um, a lot of the times there's a local one to your state. Sometimes you can donate to more generalized ones. Excuse me. Um, and uh, not only hats, but you can also do um, lots of other little things, too. You know, you can make blankets. You can make little, um, kind of like little cot things for smaller, um, premature babies to be to be um, placed in. You can make bunting sacks. You can, uh, um, you can make a lot of little things. Just, I mean, if, if you can think of a keepsake, you can make angel wings. You can... It's really like there's so many endless possibilities. I know for me the hat is a big deal. The blank is a really big deal. Um, so I really think that's a really good route to go with it. And uh, it doesn't it doesn't have to be anything crazy. You don't have to, you know, have an intricate pattern. In fact, my blanket for my son was a basic corner to corner in a variegated yarn. Like, that's it. It's blue and cream, and it's my absolute favorite thing in the world. In fact, if you watch my TikToks, you probably saw one where I was blubbering, asking people to help me find the yarn, and uh, <laughs> which was really awesome because uh, TikTok came through and we found it. And I have three schemes oh. of it. I don't know if I'll act- ever actually do anything with it, but I have it, and it just means something to me in that way. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You can just use up yarn that you have. It doesn't matter the color. The designs don't matter. Corner to corners are a perfect blanket to make. Um, and same with the hats. They can just be a basic double crochet hat, which is what I make. Um, and sometimes I add like a little button or something to it to add something sentimental to the parents. But if you're going to donate directly to to hospitals, that's not necessarily that realistic. So You know, you can keep it in neutral colors. You can do a pale yellow, a pale green. You can do traditional pink and blue. You can do white. You can do multicolor. It really doesn't matter. Um, It's, I feel like it's a great way to put some purpose to like, if you want to do some stash. Absolutely. Especially when you you get into those little hats, scrap yarn is a really great thing. You know, it doesn't, it's such a simple thing. And, and like most of it's very much so beginner type of crochet I mean most of us can make a double crocheted hat pretty easily and work it up really quick so I you know I'd encourage you guys and would be very honored if for pregnancy and infant loss awareness month you guys would be willing to make some hats and donate them to your local hospital for parents who are experiencing pregnancy and infant loss Um, it would be an invaluable gift to them that they absolutely 
would appreciate. And I mean, I, I just, I can't express enough what that would mean and do for those parents. Cause I know for me, despite the fact that walking out empty handed was so difficult to have something of his to bring home with me was helpful. It didn't fix anything, yeah. of course, but it really truly was helpful. Yeah. And how cool that we have an audience of friends that we can mobilize and kind of band together and do something that for us maybe doesn't take that much time, doesn't take that much mm-hmm. materials, doesn't take that much even effort, right. really. Yep. But if we all did a little bit, it could on the other end mean so, so much to whoever's receiving it. Absolutely. The impact it has is so beyond what somebody outside of that world can can really grasp, I think. It's just so mm-hmm. – it's, it's such a simple thing we can do to make such a huge impact. And just acknowledging it, you know, like – like you don't have to fix the situation. You don't have to, you know, offer words of comfort. You don't you don't have to do anything. In reality, the only thing you have to do is is sit and listen. Um, but if you want to do something, this is the thing you can do. And it's a very tangible way to just show yeah, kindness. And show support and grace and love and mm-hmm. and and it does it requires so little of you on 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 your end. And I know, I know that kind of cheapens like crochet because obviously the work you do is beautiful and it takes time and it's not, it's not, uh, just cheap and easy, but like making a simple little hat for the majority of us is a very quick and easy project. And, uh, especially you know, the little small yes, ones. Yes, yep. A lot of them are like three rows. Like, no joke, the, the little miscarriage ones are so tiny. Um, so, again, you can find those patterns in my link tree. And and we can put it in the show notes, yeah, too. That, uh, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, um, if you don't really know where to donate them, I am happy to take them because I have a list of about 100 people who have requested hats from me just sitting in a queue because I um, – it's hard to make a hundred hats and then afford to mail them all out on my own, but I can slowly um, work towards mailing them out. It's something that I do a lot. Um, I will take profits that I make from crochet. Uh, believe it or not, that all those profits don't go to bougie crochet hooks uh, <laughs> or trips or to trips Jessica. to Jessica. Um, I do put a lot of those funds into sending out hats as well especially when it comes to a parent that I'm learning is either in the middle of it like maybe had a terminal diagnosis like I did and is on those tail ends I'll try to get them stuff before it happens so that they have those items with them um yeah or I will like it'll be you know right after and I'll try to send them things if I can I'll send them little care packages I'll try I try to throw some other things in there if I can um so if it's something that you're like, hey, I don't really know where to donate or I don't live super close to a hospital or something, but I still really want to do this, I'm happy to have you send hats to me and I will mail them out to individual families or donate them to the hospitals here. Um, otherwise, I, I'm happy to send you some um, different nonprofits that would be willing to take them and would appreciate them. And 
If you ever have any questions on other ways you can utilize your skills in crochet to help the lost community, uh, feel free to email us either at thecrochetbays at gmail.com or you can email me directly at megsmakescrochet at gmail.com or just, you know, reach out on my TikTok page as well. All right, everyone. So before we jump into our last segment, which is going to be a little different than our typical um, final segment, I did have one more question that I just wanted to ask Megs real quick. And it was about the crochet process of like how how you picked up the hook and started crocheting again and you were making Mm -hmm. these hats and it kind of put some purpose to your pain a little bit. And then obviously somewhere in between that and now a lot has taken place because you are still doing the hats, which is amazing, but you're also designing patterns and you're, you know, making amigurumi and all these fun things. So like, what did that process look like from I'm starting to crochet again and it's, you know, part of this process where I'm healing to like where you are today. So kind of in the beginning of loss, you know, it's so debilitating. It's so devastating. It's, it feels like you'll never get out from underneath it. And this is how you're always going to feel. Um, and specifically in, um, pregnancy and infant loss, um, you experience this thing called empty arm syndrome. And obviously I'm assuming most people don't know what that is, but it's pretty self-explanatory by the title. Um, so, you know, you know, when you have a newborn baby, um, your hands are pretty full all the time. You're kind of always holding this baby. You're, you're always, your arms are always full. So that empty arm syndrome is that feeling of, I, I should have this, but I don't. And it's, it's just a form of grief really. Um, and, and it's a struggle. It, uh, it really like creates a lot of pain and a lot of tears and a lot of just struggling to function throughout the day so it's this this feeling of like my arms are physically empty when they shouldn't be and I was really struggling mm-hmm. with that and really just you know struggling with the fact that I went through all this without with you know what was the purpose like why did this happen um yeah and crochet for me kind of curbed that empty arm syndrome a little bit like no I didn't have that baby in my arms but I had my arms busy I had I had my mind busy, you know, like I, even though a basic hat, I can freehand now today without thinking about it because my mind was so jumbled with grief and other things. At that point, I had to focus really hard to really think about what I was doing, which required me to not think about other things. So while that maybe sounds a little bad, like, oh, you're trying to, you know, like shove stuff down. It wasn't even shoving it down. It was more so just giving my, my mind and my heart a break from the grief to focus on something else that was healthy Mm -hmm. that had a good purpose to it and wasn't going to do anything damaging to my mental health or emotional health or physical health Um, because there's a lot of things that I could have done to cope that could have been yeah very very unhealthy for me physically mentally and emotionally Um, and, and I really wanted to make sure I wasn't doing that so I, I really just was like, I need, I need to like fill this empty arms syndrome. I need to like fill that void and, and crochet really just, just kind of fit it almost perfectly, you know, like not perfectly because there's nothing that's going to like replace my son or fix what happened, but it just, 
it just, it, it had meaning towards him while also distracting me from grief for a period of time to let me have a break and, um, and created purpose and meaning and a gift to other parents. Um, and I think that's what really like gave me that love for it because I really burned myself out with crocheting and taking like custom orders and things like that. I did that for a really long time and I was just like, I hate this. I don't want to do it again. I'm just done crocheting forever. And then it was like, I don't have anything. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be like, you know, recovering from a C-section right now while also like nursing, trying to figure out how to nurse a brand new baby and juggle my, my almost two-year-old and, and my three-year-old and my six-year-old. And I was like, I'm supposed to have like this chaotic mess in my house. And, and now all I have is this silence and this pain and this heartache and, and I can't eat and I can't sleep and I can't talk and I can't leave my house and I can't do, I need to do something. And, yeah. and that's really where crochet came in. It was just like, this is something I can do. It requires me to focus. It requires me to use my brain. It requires me to use my hands. And it just molded into the perfect storm to kind of distract myself. Um, and reminded me again, like, no, I really love this. I really enjoy this. And not only do I love this and enjoy this, but I, I can make purpose out of it and make meaning out of it. And it can create some sense of, of peace in a way for other people and other parents who are experiencing what I experienced. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love it. I mean, I don't love the situation, but I love what you were able to do with it. Um, so hopefully you guys can respond to that call to action and check out the links in the show notes to figure out how you can be involved. Um, you can do some good to your stash, <laughs> getting rid of some uh, s- some stuff that um, maybe is just taking up space. But for somebody else, it can mean the world to them and put some okay. purpose to it. Um, we also want to go into our last segment of the podcast here, which is something that we are calling shut up and donate my money. (laughs) We figured, you know, since we're kind of doing this episode a little bit differently, we should just go ahead and and switch it up with the last segment as well. And we thought instead of telling you guys to use your money to go buy another crochet gadget and or gizmo, instead, today we're going to give you guys an opportunity to donate to a cause that is near and dear to Meg's heart and something that is... um, is kind of like what I had mentioned earlier, something that is hopefully giving parents back a little bit of, you know, that experience that they may normally be missing mm-hmm. out on. So go ahead and tell them so about it. So maybe for one reason or another, making hats doesn't really work for you. Um, it's a really easy way to obviously burn your stash or if you have old stuff like yarn and things that you're like, I don't know what to do with this. Like that's you know, making those hats and donating them is a great way. But maybe you live in the middle of nowhere and the nearest hospital is two hours away and you don't drive. Or you just don't have the ability to make that many hats or something. But you still want to do something. Um, another way you can help parents is by donating directly to No Foot Too Small. Um, the photographers that um, work with No Foot Too Small are all volunteers. They do not make income off of those photos. They supply them free to families. And um, if you have ever purchased 
professional photography before, you know that it is not cheap and it's not cheap for a reason. Um, Fun fact, I used to be a newborn photographer, so I am familiar with both ends of it in terms of like the amount of cost it it takes to produce photography as well as the cost it takes to purchase photography. Um, And can you explain real quick just like what what the organization yeah so no foot too small is a nonprofit organization that provides newborn photography to parents who have experienced pregnancy and infant loss um so they um they work with different photographers throughout the country who volunteer to be a part of it um to go to hospitals when a child is born um that passes away right away after birth or you know shortly after birth at at any period of time um or is stillborn or is born um you know from miscarriage or or just any type of pregnancy and infant loss and they provide um very beautiful and um and graceful photography for this family um, so again, like I said before, you know, one of our, the big things that a lot of parents get when their babies are born is newborn photography. One thing that a lot of lost parents don't get is newborn photography because our children have passed away. No foot too small gives parents the ability to have those photos. And I mean, as we all know, photos are timeless. It's the one thing that, that preserves a memory and is another thing that's super meaningful because obviously, as as much as I can preserve his blanket and things, over time that stuff wears down and wears away and becomes way too fragile. And there will be a point in time where it may, you know, get to a point where it no longer is around. It's just, just falls apart. And I hope that doesn't happen, but it can happen. Um, so photography in itself is another way we can preserve things, especially because we live in the age of a digital world. Um, so I can keep these things on, you know, like the cloud and stuff, and I can't lose those photos. So if something tragic happens, like my my items are stolen or my house burnt down or, you know, I move and I misplace something, I don't lose those photos, whereas I could lose physical items. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, donating to No Foot Too Small provides help to those photographers so that they can produce these things because some of them you know do their own printing and that costs thousands of dollars in equipment Um, you have to maintain camera equipment that's thousands of dollars you know all the gas money that they have to put into traveling from hospital to hospital Um, to give you an example the photographer that came and photographed my son for me he was in sent like central south dakota at, at, in Pierre, South Dakota at the Capitol. And I was down in southeastern South Dakota. And it was a hefty drive to me. And as soon as he got the call, he said, I have to wrap up a couple of things here, but I will be on my way. And he drove through the night and got to the hospital at 10 p.m. to take these photos. Wow. You know, so it's it's just, it, it preserves a memory for families that they otherwise also wouldn't get. Um, so if hats aren't really realistic to you, I would really encourage you to donate to no foot too small to help, um, you know, keep their nonprofit organization going and to keep, um, helping parents by, um, giving them that, you know, that, that gift of photography. Um, and if you don't have the financial means to, 
to donate to an organization or maybe you don't have the financial needs to mail out hats or or buy the yarn to make them um, you can always you know do a like Facebook um, uh, oh gosh what fundraiser there we go a Facebook fundraiser that's what I'm looking <laughs> for um, asking your friends and family to donate to these nonprofits and um, causes and things like that. Um, another great way that you can help raise awareness is just speaking openly about this stuff and acknowledging it happens, acknowledging that it's a real thing. It's not as uncommon as we think. Um, if you go to the Crochet Based TikTok page, I had posted a TikTok kind of prefacing this episode of the podcast and tons of women on there, you know, it wasn't like viral by any means, but there were a handful of women going, I lost two, my family lost seven children, you know, like for me, I lost three children. Um, it's just, just even acknowledging it and validating that grief and that reality for us means so much. Um, but if you can donate to No Foot Too Small, that would be an amazing thing to do and... um I know I would appreciate it. There will be families in the future who will experience pregnancy and infant loss who will appreciate it and be so grateful for it and and the hats as well. I love it. Um, and can I just say what a um, what a blessing Logan is? Yes that you know you do you I think it sounds like you kind of had that um desire to have like four mm -hmm. children in the home and obviously like it's so so sad that that David isn't a like around for you know all of the all of the family fun but you know you do get to have Four little kiddos. Yeah, running it's around. like it's it's a it's literally the definition of bittersweet. It's like, yes, that's exactly mm -hmm. what I was. It's trying like to if say. he would have <laughs> if he would have been here, would we have had Logan? But also, like, right. I I'd never be able to decide which which scenario would be better. Of course, but it's just like yeah. this. This is my reality, and I'm so grateful for the children I get to raise here on Earth. And I am grateful that I'll get to see the rest of them someday, too. Yes. How crazy that, uh, I mean, I know, obviously, <laughs> eternity functions a little bit different than mm -hmm. on this earth. It's not like you're going to be, you know, dropping the kids off at school and heaven <laughs> or whatever. But... <laughs> I love that. Have a but great the... day in heaven school. <laughs> <laughs> heaven school. But the idea of like you having seven right? kids running around. Isn't that wild? I didn't That's actually wild. even talk about the second miscarriage, but um, right before a month before I got pregnant with my youngest daughter, Logan, I had had a miscarriage. So that's what, what we're referring to when we say seven, but it is, it's, and it's even crazier to me. Like, obviously we know David was a boy. We know, you know, we know those things about him. I, I know what he looks like as an infant. I don't have those realities um, for the other two. 
like we named them their names are poppy and riley but i i chose kind of like neutral names in a way because i was like i don't actually i don't know if they're boys i don't know if they're girls i don't know who they look like i don't you know i don't know all these things about them but like for me it's it's like one day i will but they know me that's what's cool for me to to like know too is i think like they know me but i don't know them yeah Mm -hmm. it's wild well this has been definitely a different episode but a really good episode and thank you megs for being willing to share your story like that's not an easy thing to jump in and do um but you did it and you did it well and i think that people are going to have a better more compassionate understanding obviously they won't know what that's like unless they've been Mm -hmm. in your shoes hopefully we have a little bit better glimpse into that world to be able to like approach conversations with a little bit more compassion, a little bit more understanding and, and know how we can Mm -hmm. do something to help, which is really important. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Share it with a friend if you would like, Uh, because like you said, you know, spreading awareness, it's a really good thing. And that's one simple way you can do that, too, is just to share the episode with somebody. Um, and we are, oh, we're, we were going to announce, right, mm-hmm. our next episode, yep. who our guest, because in episode eight, we let you guys know that episode 10, we were going to be interviewing somebody. And we told you that, but we didn't tell you yeah. who we were going to be interviewing. So do you want to tell them? I do want to tell them. So this, you know, next episode is going to go kind of back to our norm. And uh, it is our 10th episode, which is wild. We are literally 10 episodes in, you guys. This is a milestone. I feel like we need to, like, go live on TikTok and have a party or something. Maybe we could. You know, something we talked Mm -hmm. about doing is doing a... Not recording it live because we can't logistically pull right. that off in different states, but we could do a uh, live we could. listening that would be party. A good idea. We don't necessarily have to keep this part in, <laughs> but <laughs> yes, we'll we'll talk more on that. Um, so Laura from Be Unique is going boutique. Be Unique boutique. Um, <laughs> I had to think I like I hesitated and then went wait what is it I know it there's a, there's word. a word missing is uh going to be our next guest that we interview and Laura we've gotten to know on TikTok she is an incredible wearables creator she has some pattern designing under her belt and um mm-hmm. and just she's, she's hilarious. hilarious she's a very quirky fun lady and I got the opportunity to meet her in person and have coffee with her so so jealous <laughs> so that was a really fun experience where we're gonna have someone on the podcast who has I've gotten a little feel for and stuff which is really fun she is an incredible person super great she's from the southeast Iowa area um so she's kind of in my neck of the woods and uh, we're really excited to hear more about her journey on TikTok and how she came about to getting to where she is today 
um, and can't wait to yeah. share it with you guys. It's actually, it's actually kind of kind of cool when you think about it because this is our tenth episode, and she just hit she ten thousand yes. followers on TikTok recently. So I know that a lot of you are interested in like growing on TikTok. So I think we'll get to talk to her a little bit about her journey of growth on TikTok, and then also obviously getting to talk to her about her journey mm-hmm. and just crochet in general um, of wearables of like pattern design. There's a lot of different fun things that um, we can get into in a, dis- in a discussion with her. So, um, so looking yeah. forward to that. And if you're not following her already, like go give her a follow on TikTok, look her up so that you kind of maybe get a little bit of like, you know, who mm-hmm. we're talking to. Yeah. And uh, watch out for the next episode because it's going to be a good one. Yes. But until then, crochet, drink coffee, and be kind. Crochet bays. We're gonna crochet while we talk about crochet, while we talk about crochet. You can crochet too. Yeah.